years. Ron and I have sat on district executive for many years at the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, Manitoba, Northwestern, Ontario District. It's a long name. And then Ron became my district superintendent for six years? Six years. And now I think he's trying to retire. But I don't know how that's working, but they have relocated to Brandon, and it's such a joy to get reconnected with Ron and Marilyn and to, and to have them part of our church family. So he's going to come at this time, he's going to minister in song, and then he's going to speak to you. Let's give him a good welcome to Brandon and welcome to the pulpit this morning. Bless you. It's always familiar, 
and you know you belong forever. There's no place like There's no place like Well, what a joy it is for us to be here with you, not just this morning, but to be able to say that Brandon now is home and uh, Calvary Temple is home church for us. Uh, it is very much like us coming home. We uh, had the wonderful privilege of serving here uh, at this church as associate pastor for about six, six and a half years. Uh, I think we left here around... Uh, 1983, somewhere around there. Uh, and during the years that we were here, we had the privilege of serving under Pastor Craig Gibbs, um, Alan Gibbs's father. And uh, what a joy that was to serve with him. And uh, so now, uh, almost, oh, it's got to be 28, almost 30 years ago, uh, to come back and to be able to uh, come to Brandon. Well, actually, it worked out this way. When... Uh, when I finally retired, uh, I semi-retired for a while, and then I say I'm retired now. I think I am. But when we did and, uh, and resigned the position that I had for the last uh, several years at uh, Grace Community Church in Winnipeg, formerly Charleswood Gospel Temple, um, and, and said I was retiring, then we, we had this big question, well, then where should we live, you know, like, because I didn't have any responsibilities holding me in Winnipeg, uh, we started looking around and we considered various communities we could live or, you know, move to and live in. Well, it was a, kind of like a no-brainer to think about coming to Brandon. After all, we've got family here, Bob and Penny and their three kids. And, uh, you know, when you're always searching out a, uh, a community to live in, uh, one of the big questions always becomes, well, where will we go to church you know it's always that big question and uh, that was easy for us to to know that well if we made the move to Brandon uh, we'd have a great church to be able to come and, and attend and and um, it would you know we're really looking forward to the day when we can actually fill out an application form for membership and and say this is our church officially uh, in that sense but wow, what a joy to come and to be part of a church, not just because of the history that we had here, but because of the, uh, the church the way it is today and the way that it's looking forward to the future. Uh, it's a joy to come and, and attend a, a church and be a part of it when it's under such solid leadership. And uh, it is a, a joy to come and to, to uh, be under the leadership of uh, Pastor Gary Jennings Sr., our lead pastor, as well as the other uh, pastors, Executive Pastor Vern Kratz and uh, Assistant Pastor Ruth Denbor, um, Assistant Pastor uh, Cher Paulson, and uh, also Assistant Pastor uh, Gary Jennings Jr. And uh, just to come and be a part of this, the leadership team in this church, uh, 
are recognized around this district and, uh, and many of them across Canada, uh, highly esteemed. And uh, I know Pastor Gary Sr. Sr., it's kind of hard to say that, isn't it? When Pastor uh, Gary mentioned that he had served on the district executive, he served as the assistant superintendent for many years, not just under my leadership, but under uh, Gordon Peters as well. And uh, and so the leadership of this church is, is recognized and uh, really well, highly esteemed uh, across the district and across Canada. But also, just to be a part of a, a church that's so... Um, full of life and, and, and welcoming. Wow, we just, I'm sure that when we walked through the doors of this church, uh, well, we saw some familiar faces, but many that I'm sure they wouldn't have a clue who we are and just welcomed us in such a beautiful way. And then when we uh, moved our stuff here on, I think it was May the 20th uh, on a Friday evening, the men that showed up, wow, they just overwhelmed us with uh, their energy and their their willingness to come and help and unload a, a truck. I think they unloaded the whole thing in about a half an hour and got all that stuff into our apartment where we're living now. And um, we no sooner got all the stuff in the door and, uh, and Marilyn and I looked at each other and we thought, we've got too much stuff for the two of us. Uh, and so when we finally got back here, I, I say finally because we, we didn't, like move in and and sleep there right away that night. We went back to Winnipeg, uh, slept on an air mattress for the next week or so uh, while we were involved in a videotaping for a TV series called Time to Sing, uh, which will be coming on Vision TV uh, probably on Friday evening starting in September. And so it's the second season of that. And, uh, and so when we finally got here, we packed up the car and brought all the rest of our stuff with us and got moved in and then we really were able to start settling down but I know we uh, we right away said we got too much stuff here and so I'm just so glad for E. Brandon and uh, and how easy that works I, I can't I can't believe it you know you just put it on there and like moments later the phone is ringing or you get emails and and uh, and you can get rid of stuff so quickly that way uh, and so we just really appreciate the, the help that the men here gave us in getting moved in. So we finally got here, and I know this isn't about our life story this morning, but we finally got here and we um, set up our bedroom and had our first night's sleep in our apartment here in, in Brandon. Got up the next morning uh, fairly well rested, and um, I remember Marilyn saying to me, I've lost the diamond out of my ring. And I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. She said, I lost the diamond out of my ring. And sure enough, she showed me her ring. It was empty. No diamond. And the first thoughts that I have is, uh, wow. Like, it could be anywhere. It could be in any of the boxes. It could be on the ground. It could be in the car. Uh, it could be in the apartment that we left back in Winnipeg. Uh, it, somehow it disappeared that day when we moved, when we actually made the move and, and came and lived here. And, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, no, i got to go and find another diamond, you know. And, uh, but, of course, nothing would ever take the place of the original. And uh, 
So Marilyn starts, you know, she pulls back the covers on the bed and she starts to look. And, you know, the thoughts that are going through my mind is, what a wasted effort. You know, when you think about where all that diamond could have gone, it's, why even bother looking, you know? Uh, but, you know, I, I couldn't even, I no sooner thought those words and didn't even get to even say them before she said, here it is. Just like that. It, it was on the sheet. She had kind of run her fingers uh, across the sheet, and there was the diamond. I, I just, wow. That's amazing. And so um, got it reset. It was amazing that it hung on as long as it did. Um, but, uh, wow. Well, I, I gave it to you, what, almost like 44 years ago? And, and it survived that long, and... Um, well, we were able to get her to reset and got her new start on that again. So, wow. So, losing and finding. Have you ever lost anything? Well, today's story we're going to look at is in the Gospel of um, Luke chapter 15. And uh, let me just read it for you. It's uh, Luke's Gospel chapter 15 and starting at verse 8. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so we have this story of this woman that has these ten coins and she loses one and uh, and she makes this uh, desperate search for it. And so we have the silver. As we consider the silver this morning, we, we have to ask ourselves the question, how much was it worth? Why would she put so much effort into searching for this one lost coin? Um, it must have had great value to her. Well, we, we find out that, you know, just looking at commentaries and uh, those kind of things, we find out that this coin really did not have a lot of value. It was like the equivalent of one day's wage. Uh, well, that's enough. You know, who wants to lose uh, their salary for one day? But uh, it probably, uh, you know, a person could survive having lost one day's salary. But in reading further about this, we discover that there might have been another reason why this coin was so valuable to her. And this is what we learn, is that in Palestine in those days, it was very common that a a woman would have a headdress made up of coins. And uh, depending on the commentary you read on this, I kind of got it, found two versions of this, but they basically come to the same conclusion. Uh, One of them said that, the headdress was the symbol of a married woman. She would have uh, these ten silver coins that she would wear around her head, and that would sim- symbolize the fact that she is indeed married. Others' uh, commentaries say, yes, the woman would have this headdress, but it would be something that she would kind of gather, almost like a hope chest, in preparation for marriage, uh, and uh, and it would be a way of her showing the wealth of her family. But for her to get married, she'd have to have at least ten silver coins. The poorest of women would have at least ten silver coins. 
but she could add to that and uh, and you know so if she was wealthier her family was wealthier and she could let her prospective husband know that you know she that he's really marrying into a fair bit of wealth when she, he sees how many coins she's wearing um, but this woman has 10 silver coins which probably suggests she was uh, fairly uh, poor and uh, could not afford to lose this one or if indeed, as I first suggested, this was really the symbol of being married, almost like a wedding ring, then for her to lose this coin became very, very important to her. And, uh, and so she makes this desperate search to find the, uh, the lost coin. As we read this parable, we realize that, well, it's part of three parables in this one chapter, and, and in this chapter 15 of Luke, we, we learn that God is teaching us how much he loves us, how much he values us, and how desperately he searches for those who have not yet come to him, who have not yet put their faith in Christ, that God will search anywhere and everywhere in order to bring that person back to faith in Christ. And, uh, and so like the, the lost sheep that's sought for and even later in the chapter we learn about the prodigal son and how that the father waits and waits for the son to return and and welcomes him with open arms and and forgives him and it's all about the father's love for us and how valuable we are to him have you ever wondered about how much you're worth well Probably you have. You know, you do your calculations, you figure it out on your income tax every year, how much you're worth. How much are you really worth? Um, Somebody in Quebec, or someone who visited Quebec just in the last week, probably today is saying, I'm $50 million richer than I was a week ago. The Friday night, you know, Lotto Max lottery and... And uh, somebody in Quebec won the $50 million. If I had a million dollars, I would, how'd the song go? I would buy me a house, I'd buy me a car. If I had a million dollars, well, how much are you worth? Um, I'm not proposing, by the way, that you go out and buy lottery tickets. I've never bought one in my life and don't never intend to. Um, but how, how valuable are we? Um, somebody has suggested that if you really want to calculate how much we're really worth, then you would uh, calculate uh, how many chemicals are in our human body. And uh, it kind of works out this way, that if you take the human body and if you want to just, you know, sell your body for the chemicals that are in it, well, it, it works out this way. Our body is made up of uh, 65% oxygen, 18% carbon, 10% hydrogen, 3% nitrogen, 1.5% calcium, 1% phosphorus, 0.35% potassium, 0.25% sulfur, 0.15% sodium, 0.15% chlorine, 0.05% magnesium, 0.0004% iron, and 0.00004 iodine, and a few other chemicals. And they say that if you totaled that all up and sold it on the market today, it'd be worth about one American dollar. Makes us really feel valuable, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, Actually, Jesus summed it up this way. 
when he said that in Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 16, in verse 26, he says, What good would it be for you if you were to gain the whole world or own the whole world and forfeit your soul? Or what could you give in exchange for your soul? If you turn that around, what Jesus is really saying to us is that you are more valuable than not just 50 million, or not even just worth more than all the gold in California, but you are worth more than all of the money in all of the world. That's how valuable each one of us is to God. We are of an eternal value to God. And so you are worth more than all the money in the world. That's the value that God puts on us. And that because we're human beings made in God's image, that we are, we are unique and different from every other creature that is on the face of this earth. For God made us as eternal souls. It's interesting in the airline business when they talk about a, uh, you know, if there's been a crash and so many people have lost their lives, then in the airline business they say they lost 50 souls or that there were 120 souls on board. That's an expression they use. Um, Well, God made us as eternal souls. Just think about that, eternal. From the moment of conception is the beginning of an eternal being. The question becomes, where will we spend the rest of that eternity? But we're made into eternal beings. Not, not eternal in the sense that God is eternal, because God has no beginning. Um, there never was a time when you could say God did not exist. God forever existed in the past eternally existent in the past and will be eternally existent in the future. There actually is no past, no future as far as God's concerned. He is eternal, no beginning, no ending. But for us, there is a beginning. And so at that moment of conception, there is a start, but there is no end. Oh, I know we could talk about death and how that, you know, this, this physical body deteriorates and, or, or through accident or disease or whatever, this body dies, but the soul continues on forever. And God sees us as being eternally valuable to him. Us and every other person on this planet is eternally valuable to him. So we are valuable. There's the silver, there's the search. And as we consider the search this morning, we, we read in the scripture here that the woman, when she realized she lost that coin, she searched the house. Now, if we just lost one little coin, we wouldn't bother making that kind of a search. But if it was a diamond ring or something like that. Actually, I heard another story of a guy who, um, he got home from work. His wife had prepared supper. He, he no sooner gets in the door and she says, I lost my diamond. Similar story, but not as easy of an ending to it. And, and, and so she was 
you know, really upset about having lost the diamond out of her ring. And, and so he starts to quiz his wife, well, where's the, when's the last time you saw it on? And she says, well, I was peeling potatoes in the sink, and I remember seeing it then, but when I finally got supper on the table, I realized it's missing. And he's trying to retrace the steps now here. Now, where could that diamond happen to be? And even though he's not a plumber... Uh, he's quite prepared to, you know, get under the sink and undo that, you know, that P-trap and, and uh, start looking in there that maybe that he would find the diamond. He puts a little pail down underneath there. And uh, if you've ever undone one of those, usually they come out pretty black and grimy. Talk about getting into the grime in order to find something valuable. That, that's what Jesus does. And, uh, and so he, he gets down and he's got all this stuff kind of dumped out into a pail and he's feeling around with his finger and trying to discover it until finally he does. He finds the missing diamond. So he makes this desperate search to find what is valuable. This woman made the search where she swept the house and, and we understand that her home was probably just, it would have had possibly one window, one round window, fairly high up in the, on one wall, and uh, probably a dirt floor. And so where does she find a missing coin in that kind of a setting? And so that's why she lights the candle and she starts sweeping around uh, through, the, through the, uh, the dirt and trying to find the missing coin. And so she makes this desperate search for it. And uh, have you ever been lost? Have you ever been lost? I was about five years old here in Brandon at the summer fair. My mom and dad, who we lived as a family in Carrot River, Saskatchewan, they had come here to see my grandpa Donna, Lee Donna, and um, and we were we were at the fair. Well, I had some uncles and aunts here as well. So that means I got some cousins around here too, but what? Um, but anyways, we were at the fair, and I remember we were there, at, you know, admiring all the machinery and everything else because Lee Donna had uh, invented this uh, straw buncher. Back then, it was a big deal, uh, the straw buncher, and uh, and so we had to go and you know see all the, the machinery and and I remember looking back on it, I didn't realize I was lost, but. I started looking around. I was admiring some of this, uh, you know, metal and, you know, the, all the stuff to do with these machineries. And, and uh, got looking around and wondered, where's, where's Mom? Where's, where's Dad? Where's Gordon? Where's David? Where's Joy? Where's, where's the rest of the family? And then I started to cry. I know men aren't supposed to cry, but uh, I did. And somebody must have spotted this, and I'm not sure whether I was four or five years of age, somewhere around then, spotted this kid crying. And what I really remember about it is the ice cream cone that they bought for me. I think they were trying to stop the tears. They figured if they bought this little kid an ice cream cone, that, you know, then he'd at least stop crying and we can find his parents and get him reunited and whatever. It was a nice, very nice thing to them to do. So I, finally they lead me back to mom and dad and I'm licking away on this ice cream cone and uh, boy, you know, it's not a nice thing to get lost. Normally, men don't get lost. (laughs) 
Men seldom ask for directions because, you know, basically we're just on an adventure. And um, Columbus didn't ask for directions. <laughs> Look what he discovered. You know, we're just on an adventure. We're going to find something new, some new place, some, you know. It's maybe sometimes hard to admit we're lost. Thank the Lord for GPS, eh? <laughs> and, um, and how we can uh, now find our way around. Well, I was glad that somebody found me and got me back to my parents. And, um, and so there's this search. This woman searches for the lost coin. God searches for lost people everywhere. God finds, searches for, and finds people absolutely everywhere. No limitations. No boundaries that say, God feels, oh, I can't, can't look for him there. I can't look for her there. I know perhaps you're praying for a son or daughter or parent or friend, and you wonder, Will they ever be reached with the good news of the gospel? Will they ever return to Christ? Well, just to know that God searches for people absolutely everywhere. Probably illustrated a little bit by Thomas Lopez, the 20-year-old lifeguard in southern Florida just this last Monday, when uh, he was paid to look after a certain part of the beach uh, and... Uh, but someone else frantically comes running along and says, there's a man drowning over there. And it was outside of his, the area that he's supposed to be looking after. In fact, the area that the man was in was a, also an area that had a big sign that said, swim at your own risk. But the man was drowning, and what's he supposed to do? And so we, we read the story of Thomas Lopez and how that he... Uh, knows that it's a long ways to go, like 500 meters he has to run to get there. And, and, uh, and so he goes racing off to help. And basically, by the time he gets there, actually a couple of other men had, had uh, reached out and helped the man. And, they, they, and so he was there in time to help them drag him right out, out onto the beach. And a, an off-duty nurse was there as well, and they helped to, to, uh, to uh, resuscitate the man. And, and finally, the... Uh, you know, the ambulance comes along, and, and the reports that I read uh, said that, that he was taken to the hospital, treated, and then released. So you, you'd like to believe that he survived. And, uh, and so the lifeguard gets fired. What a, what a story, eh? It, it just infuriated everyone. Not just his fellow lifeguards, several of them quit on the spot. They said, if you're going to fire a guy for saving a man's life, I quit. Who wants to work for a company like that? And, and in fact, when they uh, interviewed uh, Thomas Lopez later, he said that uh, it was just the morally right thing to do to save a drowning man. And, uh, and he said, I'm, I'm not going to work I'm not going to let my employment or my job stand in the way of me doing something that is morally right. And the media, the, uh, the public in general got so upset about this 
that finally the uh, private company that hired these lifeguards came back to uh, Thomas Lopez and they said, we reacted wrongly. We'd like to offer your job back. And Thomas Lopez says, thank you. Actually, any time they showed him in the news, I, he seems like such a gracious guy. You know, he just said, he never badmouthed the company. He just, he just says, well, thank you for your, your you know, gracious offer, but I decline. I want to get on with my life, get on with my education. And, uh, but wow. What a great example of going beyond what was expected of him or what he was even allowed to do in order to save the loss, save a drowning man. And so God goes anywhere. When it comes to uh, God searching for the lost, um, I like the way the, uh, the psalmist puts it. In Psalm 139, there's a scripture here that just sums it up so beautifully. It's kind of like this. You know, if you've ever played hide-and-go-seek, you know, it's like the idea is to hide so that you won't be found. Uh, there are people that try to do that with God, you know hide from God, run from God. And here's one scripture that tells us, basically, you're, if that's the game you're playing, you're, you're playing a losing game because you cannot. It's absolutely impossible to hide from God. So I read in Psalm 139 and starting at verse 7, where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? That's fleeing from God's spirit, God's presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you, God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And that psalm goes on to talk about how that we are wondrously made, and how that even in the belly of the womb, before we were born, that God knows us, and that uh, he knows us, and there's no hiding from him. God searches for us, Everywhere. Well, finally, in this story we read this morning, the woman loses her coin. She searches for it. So there's the silver, there's the search, there's the celebration. Um, and she says, the scripture tells us that she calls her friends and her neighbors and had them over for a time of celebration because her lost coin was found. And what do we learn from this parable? Just we can sum it up here in a couple of minutes. And it goes like this. Basically, it's a story about sinners coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so how is a sinner found? Well, this scripture here talks, it uses the term repent. When a sinner repents, it's like them being found by God. We, um, we used to sing an old hymn that went, you know, something like, Come home. Come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, come home. Well, the coming home is basically saying yes to Jesus, repenting of our sins, 
and saying yes to Jesus and receiving him as our Savior and our Lord. And so a sinner is found when they repent and turn from their sins. And, um, and when a sinner repents, there are celebrations on at least three levels. And I'll just quickly summarize these for you. There is the celebration of the sinner himself who rejoices in being found, in, in coming back to Jesus, to finding new life. Perhaps it can be summed up simply in the word of a 10-year-old of a boy who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And this 10-year-old boy, when he said yes to Jesus and prayed a prayer to ask Jesus to come into his life and forgive him of his sins, and um, he, after praying that prayer, he said to the adult who had led him through that prayer, he says, I just feel so clean. I just feel so clean inside. It's like Jesus went down in, in a sponge and went down inside of me and just washed me up, and I just feel so clean. Because Jesus does wash us from every sin and make us pure and lift the burden of sin from us and, and gives us eternal life, eternal life with God where we will spend eternity with God. And it starts right now. As soon as we say yes to Jesus, we begin to walk in this newness of life where we know that we're not living in our own strength and effort and wisdom and insight, but rather we're now living with the the uh, empowerment of God's Holy Spirit and His very presence with us. And we're not walking life in our own strength, but we're walking with Jesus, walking with us. And so there's the sinner who rejoices, there's an old term that we used to call the soul winner. And what that really meant was uh, the soul winner was the person that would go and introduce someone else to Jesus, to lead them to faith in Christ. Uh, just uh, at communion time today, Pastor Gary talked about Andrew and how that Andrew went and found his brother Simon and led Simon to Jesus, the Messiah. And, and so Andrew would be viewed like a, like a soul winner, a one who goes and introduces someone else to Jesus. Talk about rejoicing and something to get excited about. I, I think that second only to your own salvation and your own joy of being saved and knowing Jesus as your personal Savior is the joy of introducing someone else to Jesus and seeing the light come on in their lives and, and how that they find new life in Jesus. Wow, that's exciting and that's thrilling. But then it says here in this scripture that the Savior rejoices, that Jesus rejoices. Jesus taught himself that likewise in the presence of the angels of God, there is rejoicing. And so we, as we read this scripture, we understand that it's not just talking about angels rejoicing, but in the presence of the angels, that God himself rejoices. It's almost like, well, it's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Party in heaven. Uh, for some people, they, that's almost a contradictory thought, party in heaven. But I believe that God knows how to party and God knows how to celebrate. And, uh, and what rejoicing takes place when one person says yes to Jesus. So um, if you have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, you could uh, put your faith in Christ. And it wouldn't be just for the reason to you know, let the fireworks start, but it would be to come to a relationship with Jesus and know him in a personal way. 
if you're praying for someone and concerned about someone who's not serving the Lord, be assured today that they're that God is reaching out to them by his Holy Spirit in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine. God has a way of doing that. And sometimes it's just with us saying yes to Jesus as God prompts our heart to be that soul winner, to be that one that would go and search. And, and whether it's, you know, to go to the mission field or across the street or, or you know, go to Tim's and have a coffee with somebody and begin to share the good news of the gospel with this individual or pray for someone in the hospital or whatever it might be. Uh, God prompts us. God works through us. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? That God wants to work through us and he does. Well, let me just, let me just conclude in prayer and then we'll turn the service back to Pastor Gary. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your amazing love. Lord, it humbles us to think that you put such value in us. So much value, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to leave all the glories of heaven and come to this earth and take upon you, Lord Jesus, our shame, our guilt, our penalty of death upon the cross. And Lord, we just pray today that you would help us to realize how precious we are to you. And Lord, that we would value our lives and the lives of every person around us And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live for you and appreciate what you want to do through us. For we pray this now in the name of Christ, our mighty Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my brother, for sharing this morning. Lost and found. God bless.